Hello, and welcome to Mindshare's Trends 2018 podcast. I'm here at the Google Town Hall in London, where the Mindshare event is about to get underway, and a very excited audience is already to hear more about the media industry's tech future. Now, these trends have been researched by the Mindshare UK Futures team, and they aim to predict which technological changes and developments will shape the media industry going forward, and as well to try and predict the environments within which brands and consumers will be operating. We're about to hear a panel of senior marketers discuss the brand perspective of how the media and marketing landscape is set to evolve in the next year. Speaking on this panel, we have Trainline's Lisa Bocott, Ben Johnson from Unilever, and Ben Moore from Nokia. It's also moderated by Norm Johnston, who is Mindshare's Global Chief Strategy and Digital Officer. Before you hear from them, though, Sophie Harding, who is Trends and Insights Director for Mindshare UK, will introduce us to five cultural and technological trends to watch in 2018, and also give us a bit of a brief overview of Mindshare's research program. Let's listen in. So I'm Sophie Harding, our Trends and Insights Director, um, and you might be thinking, what is a researcher uh, doing here to talk to me all about trends and technology? Um, and I think this is where uh, Mindshare, again, approach trends from a slightly different angle to lots of other people in the industry. Um, we're currently uh, constantly researching trends as the year goes, uh, goes by, all throughout the year. Um, and then our 2018 trends piece um, is driven through a really, really extensive uh, piece of consumer research that takes around uh, three months to pull together, actually. So I'm going to give you a quick whistle-stop tour of what the trends are um, so that we can have some informed discussion today. Um, our first trend is a trend called Get Snappy, uh, and this is all about the growing use of image recognition for quicker and easier interactions for consumers. So we've highlighted three, uh, three areas, really, for growth uh, when it comes to Get Snappy, and the first one is visual search. Now, what I mean by visual search is uh, using image as the input uh, for search rather than text. Um, and there's lots of different companies uh, investing quite heavily in this at the moment, um, ASOS, great example, uh, where you can, they've added this into their app, where you can upload a picture of um, a piece of clothing, or in this case, a, a boots, uh, and it will match that with uh, about 40,000 uh, different um, solutions through their, their app and find you a, a matching pair of boots. Um, similarly, you don't necessarily have to upload uh, photos either in this space. Um, so Google Lens are working... Um, on this invader at the moment in the States. Uh, and this is a proposition that they're trying to build into their Pixel phones, um, where you will literally just hover your phone over an item and it will bring up more information about that item. Um, so this is uh, the star rating on a restaurant, for example. Um, there's lots of other different applications there with Google Lens. And then the second area is scanning codes. And I could probably hear lots of uh, marketing people kind of groaning at this because obviously we had QR codes. Um, which didn't quite work for a number of reasons. Um, but the main barrier, really, for QR codes was the fact that you needed a separate QR code reader. Um, and actually, we're not needing that now because actually these readers are now built into um, either social platforms um, or actually the newest version of iOS uh, now also has a, a code reader um, designed into it. Um, so we're seeing, obviously, Snap have been doing it since 2015. Um, but other brands like Shazam, like Pinterest, like Facebook... Um, all adding uh, the code scanning options, um, and it's pretty easy for consumers to do this now. And then lastly, facial recognition. Um, lots of advances in AI that mean that even just over the last two or three years, facial recognition is becoming um, much um, more improved. And things like uh, the Apple iPhone X, obviously building facial recognition uh, for phone un unlocking, uh, and things like payments um, will, will make people slightly more comfortable with this. Um, and this was something that we found in the research. Again, Julie will go into more detail, but people aren't quite as trusting of the technology just yet for facial recognition. So what does all this mean? Um, just some thought starters, really, for, for you guys in this space. Um, it's about using image recognition to make that customer experience smoother. So what can you do to use images to actually make things easier for people? Um, and then thinking about kind of how people might be visually searching as well for your products. And what I mean by this is, you know, how do people's brains work? It's more about that functionality. So how are people categorizing or identifying items, for example? And then off the back of that, optimizing your content. So it might be your website um, for image search. And then also displaying images free of clutter so that people can easily use them. Actually, 
the visual search side of things was something people really, really found appealing, um, but they just don't know it exists currently at the moment. So the technology is there, people just don't know it exists. So again, expect to see once people are aware, um, a real take up of, of get snappy. Second trend um, is a trend called access all areas. And this really is about access everywhere, kind of supercharged access. And this is being driven by, by two things. Clearly, new devices. So David mentioned CES earlier. Um, and we're not just talking about kind of a, a Alexa uh, and Google Home now. They're obviously being built into lots of different things like cars, like TVs, um, like appliances. Um, and then also there were lots of different uh, hearable type options as well. Um, we had AR glasses, again, um, that were quite big at CES this year, early days. Um, and then also lots of other IoT uh, products in this space. So we really are kind of moving beyond the mobile phone screen. Um, and this is something uh, that consumers were kind of up for, but they really could not get their head around it. Um, they really could not visualize a future where we weren't really embedded uh, to a mobile phone screen, which is quite interesting. And this is all going to be fueled by uh, an improved infrastructure, especially in the UK. Um, so expect more Wi-Fi points. Uh, the government are investing heavily in kind of improving broadband. Um, and obviously, we've got 5G on the horizon as well for 2020, um, which will completely um, transform how we can see in media and bring big changes. Um, so we'll be able to consume kind of more AR, more VR, more immersive digital content um, when 5G comes our way as well. So expect big changes at that time. And then focusing on the consistency of brand experience is going to be um, really key because actually, um, obviously, people are going to be using even more platforms to consume um, your brand. So consistency of brand experience and actually making that experience easy for people to flip from channel to channel. And if they are switching from channel to channel, um, also tailoring your content to that context. So people might be, for example, consuming your content in a car, which means they're consuming it on their own. Um, but then they might quickly, easily switch to consuming that on the go or potentially in a, in a slightly more public environment. So you just might need to be aware of how your con the context in which your content is being consumed. And then focusing on the best experience for the consumer as well. Sounds pretty obvious. Um, but there are lots of these ecosystems, um, again, as David kind of pointed to earlier. So um, everybody, everything is either all Amazon or all Google. And often the two don't, um, don't collaborate, which really, um, from a consumer perspective, isn't really how they think. So again, um, don't commit too early and, and think about things from a consumer point of view. And then our third trend is called the exploration game. Um, so we have been turning to friends and family for recommendations, for ideas, for new things, and to help us discover and imagine and visualize things um, for a while. But actually, technology um, is also helping us discover things and imagine in new, in new ways, and more imaginative ways. So thinking about discovery and inspiration, um, algorithms are up there. We spoke to people quite extensively about algorithms. They don't mind algorithms, actually, um, especially things like um, program recommendations on Netflix because they get useful things out of them. Um, so they were more friendly towards algorithms than we thought they would be. And they were very, very established and, and, and actually all age groups really related to them. Um, and then also social platforms, the ultimate discovery um, platform. You think about what Pinterest was designed to do. Um, but obviously, social platforms are becoming more shoppable, more immersive. Um, this is an example of Snapchat context cards. Uh, again, have a look into that. That's quite an interesting one. And then in the imagination and visualization space, probably earlier days, really. Um, but we're looking at things like smart mirrors, like digital assistants, like the Amazon Look that have cameras built in. Um, and also uh, AR in, in this space for mobile specifically is something we're really, really um, tipping for, for quick growth. Um, and this is really driven um, by the fact that it's being built in um, to things like the iPhone 8, the iPhone 10, uh, the Pixel phones. Uh, but obviously, you've got the developer kits as well that uh, these companies are developing. So AR kits um, and uh, the, the Google version, Google AR Core. Um, and this will make it easier for brands to create their own content. So this um, app in particular is something that IKEA created. Um, called IKEA Place, and they use that uh, by, by using the AR kit. So mobile is going to be um, at the heart of all of these exploration moments. Um, and then thinking about you know, where that consumer decision journey is, 
where do you need to inspire people? Is it at the idea stage? Is it a bit further along? How can you really, really help uh, people make decisions along that journey? And then talking about AI, it doesn't necessarily have to be the main attraction. You don't have to design some big standalone AR app. You could be designing, a lot of companies are trialing um, small functions, AR functions within apps that they have already, for example. Um, and then again, thinking about AR, context will be really, really important, potentially more important than content at times with AR, because it will be all about where people are having this AR experience um, and how. And then our last two trends are really um, around how consumers are reacting um, to certain uh, growth in, in the technology space. Um, so this is automatic for the people. And we knew when we went into um, the research that we wanted to talk to people about automation, but we weren't really sure what was going to come out. Um, and the interesting thing was, you know, we're being exposed to much more, um, much more automation options, really, in our lives. So there's over 100,000 chatbots on Messenger now. Um, and there's obviously the concept stores like Amazon Go um, in Seattle where there's just no people in store. We wanted to see how people felt about that. And interestingly, they are kind of becoming more conscious that there's more automated options um, there. And I think they're thinking more consciously about things maybe than they perhaps did a couple of years ago. And they realize they're having to make decisions to deal with an automated service versus a person that maybe they didn't have to deal with a couple of years ago as well. So the appeal of convenience for people was quite a draw. So about 54% of people really said that speed, convenience, if it's quicker, easier for me, I'll go for the automated option. And something like this, which is the automatic boarding gates that BA are trialing, which has facial recognition built in. So it will match it to your security scan as you come in through security at the airport, and you don't need your boarding card. You can just literally go straight through. So people kind of like the concept of things like that. Um, for the convenience factor. But we were finding that there's still a real issue with kind of trust in the technology. Um, and Amazon Go, I could have spoken to, had a separate focus groups and spoken to people on mobile app for hours about Amazon Go. Um, they really didn't get the concept of Amazon Go, and it was, it was really difficult for them to trust that the technology would work. There were all kinds of questions um, through to, what if I don't take my phone? What if I put the item on a different shelf? What if somebody else put something in my basket? There were all these theoretical reasons why Amazon Go just wouldn't work at all. Um, so there was a, a kind of risk factor associated with things. So if there was a, a, a risk of something going wrong, people would automatically go for the, uh, the person rather than the automated version. So people kind of weigh these decisions up in their mind. And then interestingly, when we spoke to them about talking to, to humans about things, that there were some things, sometimes that people just couldn't really articulate why they wanted to deal with a person. Um, so it might be, again, they just wanted to have a joke or a, a piece of kind of face-to-face -face interaction with somebody, and they couldn't really describe why. Um, some people were the complete opposite. They didn't really want a human interaction. Um, so there were differences in the data there, um, particularly um, young people and Londoners as well. Uh, when we look regionally, don't want to be uh, dealing with people at times and think it's easier to deal with the automated option. Um, so, yeah, that human touch. Interestingly, what we didn't find so much was um, lots of social discussion about what automation means for, um, for the, the, job, the job world um, and society, actually. People did touch on it, but actually what we talked about more was will that process, will that automation or the person get that job done better um, and which is, which is the best option for me. Um, interestingly, yeah, we, we gave lots of people different scenarios uh, in, in the, the quant. Um, and there were certain things where people really wanted a human versus certain things where people were kind of quite accepting the fact that a robot could do things, passport gates, hence why the, um, the BA example works well. Uh, chatbots, not so much. Uh, drone deliveries, people really aren't up for drone deliveries just yet. <laughs> um, so what does some of this mean? So focusing on automating um, services in very specific roles was something we found would work well. Um, and this was to do with the trust issue. So if people, um, if, if something was trying to do too much, people just weren't really trusting of the fact that it could do all of these different things. So if you focus on something specific, that will really um, actually get people to trust your brand. Um, and then designing services that balance feelings of convenience with control as well. So some people felt that the automated service kind of took control away from them. 
So if you are creating an automated service, um, perhaps um, an example of this would be checking in at an airport. So some people actually really liked the um, check-in at an airport automatically because it meant that they could actually choose the seats on the plane. So you're giving them back control of something, of, that, of some part of that process that they wouldn't get if they dealt with a human. And then thinking about augmenting um, rather than replacing the human role. Um, and actually, I didn't talk about Lola, um, which is a chatbot here. That Yes, it is a chatbot, um, but it also has a team of... Uh, it's a travel chatbot that has a team of about seven or eight people behind it as well um, that are there for that human response. So again, if you can combine and augment um, rather than replace that human role, uh, all the better. And then our last trend um, is destination data. And again, we knew we wanted to speak to people about data, um, but we weren't quite sure what they were going to tell us. And interestingly, they told us that data um, wasn't really on their radar, um, and, and it wasn't really top of their priority list, um, but they felt it should be. Um, so obviously, with GDPR on the horizon, um, data is set to become a hotter topic. So we're going to see a bit of a, a reversal, really, in people's um, opinions on this. So how people feel about this currently is there's a real sense of inevitability. They realize that they're just giving away more and more data and that their data footprint is increasing. Um, and they know that this data has value, but they just simply don't know how to use it. Um, and they don't really, um, really think about it. So things like terms and conditions, you can understand why people don't read terms and conditions. Um, if we read all the terms and conditions we were supposed to, there's some research that suggests um, we'd be there for about 76 hours of our, of our lives every year. So you can understand why. And then, you know, off the back of this, yes, we're giving away more data and people aren't as concerned as you think they would be. Um, but they do feel like they should be doing more to control the data. And they feel like companies should also be doing more as well to, to tell people how um, they're currently using their data. So we ran the kind of GDPR concept past people. Obviously, you've got GDPR coming in May. Um, and I think generally when people um, heard about GDPR, um, because yes, they don't really know about GDPR, um, only 22% of those that we surveyed actually knew what GDPR was or had heard of it. Um, and when you speak to people, it's only people really that have um, an interest in it through their work that, that, as to why they would know about GDPR. But when we ran things past them, like the right to be forgotten, um, the, the opt-ins, they really, really um, were quite um, passionate about it, actually, um, and they really thought it was a very good idea. So in this space, I think what people were telling us as well is, I need companies to help me manage my data better. Um, and I think we will see a lot of companies becoming solution providers, whether it's new companies emerging to market, um, like this self-key um, example, which is a blockchain kind of digital identity system. Um, brands like Apple as well, are, and Google are doing things in this space. So Apple now built into iOS. Um, it will automatically delete any unused cookies after 30 days. So keeping also a close eye on how these de different demographics behave as well when it comes to data. Julia's going to talk about that one. And clearly, marketing consents are going to be key. Consumers are going to expect transparency. Um, we're going to have to be really, really explicit, obviously, with them, and that's something they will welcome. And then also help towards more effective data management is also going to be welcome in this space. Um, that is me, and we're going to move on to the industry panel. Thank you for joining, guys. Um, thank God we've got a Lisa here. We would have had three yeah, Ben's. That would have been a bit, a bit of a problem. Ben. Yes, exactly. So, um, thanks for joining. Uh, so, same format. I'll just put out some questions. Hopefully, we'll get some good answers, and then we'll open it up at the very end uh, for the audience to ask a few questions. I'm going to talk a little bit about access all areas. So, again, this is the ubiquitous internet, 5G. It's baked into pretty much everything around you. Uh, we talked a little bit around uh, Alexa, Google Assistant, Siri, Cortana, the battle to get all these voices and AI uh, baked into uh, all sorts of devices from smart speakers to cars to you know, washing machines and so on and so forth. How are you guys approaching that from your perspective, from your companies? How are you looking at some of these new technologies and working out the role they play either within the product itself or within the brand experience? We'll start with the first Ben here. Well... So, uh, but told, based on your actually, bio, you're, you're fearful and cynical. So I'm expecting a fearful <laughs> and cynical answer. Only about only about trends, it just because I think the rate of change of right. the world means 
trend forecasting becomes so very difficult. So uh, access all areas, I think. So for for those that aren't aware, um, I'm I'm kind of involved in a company that's relaunching Nokia mobile phones or smartphones. So I'm at the front end of this in many ways, Norm, because. All our focus is on the devices at the moment. And, and you've also recently bought Withings as well. And we've uh, recently I bought, well, Nokia, Nokia have, yeah. not us, we're yeah. on a licensing yeah. deal, yeah. but yes, yes, Nokia have. Um, and, and so the, you know, for us at the moment, we're looking at uh, the mobile device, and we might come back to the conversation around the future of the, of the device itself, uh, as, um, as being central to that whole Internet of Things experience. And... Um, I think the big challenge for us is uh, how to how to get the technology out of the way in many ways and, and start making that a, a much more seamless experience. Does that freak you out, the notion of the end of the smartphone era? I mean, that's got to rattle some cages a little bit. Uh, do, I, do you think that will happen, or do you think no, actually... No, I don't. I, don't. I, think, okay. I think the smartphone format as it exists yeah. at the moment will change, but I, right. but I, but I think actually... The uh, the connected world means that that technology is just going to become much more intuitive, much more natural. We're still going to want to communicate uh, beyond person to person, right. so we've got to we've got to have technology that covers distance uh, remotely. So, okay. no, I think the device will change, but I don't so think twenty twenty two doesn't doesn't freak no. you out. Okay, uh, Ben Unilever. Yeah, I, I think it's a great thing. I mean, it's just kind of more access for the consumer. Yeah, they can get whatever they want whenever they want it, faster, more of it. And I think for us that means stronger brands win because they can find out more about you, they can spend more time with you and on our, as one of, in our armory and the more we can test and learn yeah. in these areas, we can then scale that ourselves. So, look, I think it's great, more consumer power. Oh, there must be some apps. I mean, for, for your business, though, with, with Amazon, for, for example, with automatic reordering and products being able to tell you they're about to expire, uh, the, you know, recipes, there's some really interesting things in your space. Yeah, and uh, yeah. I mean, look, it's, it's hard to kind of give one size fits all. You move from Ren Skincare, yeah. um, Murad, Dermatologica to Domestos. Yeah and um, then over to North. That's a very different strategy for each of your kind of categories or your brands. I mean, we're in Dollar Shave Club where we don't really want to talk to Amazon, right. which is a kind of direct-to-consumer subscription business. So, look, it, it, it's not... I think for our point of view, that access all areas is great for the transparency in the same way I think the whole um, connecting... You know, the fact you can read you know, through iOS 11, read a QR code through your phone. That is, again, that's a transparency for the consumer. Yeah. And the fact, I think, this year, with all the trends that you're talking about are actually, they're not trends, they're now. Yeah. You know I mean, hardware, software, infrastructure is all caught up together, and suddenly you've got this situation of now, so I think that's just all really exciting. And, end of the smartphone era? Mad. You're mad. I mean, look, there'll be a law. It'll be like data. I, be a law. I am actually mad. Enough people will get <laughs> run over by walking across a road or into a cyclist. You know I mean, that, people will be forced to put it away. Yeah. yeah, that'll be uh, our parents will get it's sick of people holding their screens in front of them. At the end of there is no end of the smartphone. Era. There is there's an end. Of, there, there might be an end of the smartphone. There's not an end of the device yes. era, the handheld yeah. device, and that's. Well, these things are rarely binary. I've, I've been doing digital since yeah. you know, '95, and we've been talking about the demise of TV, and you know these things still stick around. They linger for a long time. Lisa Trainline. Yeah, I mean, look, we look at every emerging platform in its own merits and what it can deliver for the customer. Um, and for us, it's about the quality of the experience because we're all about making journeys for customers more seamless, more affordable and better, ultimately. So, um, you know, we weren't the first to create a voice app for uh, for train journey information, but but we are the best, and that's intentional. We looked at how customers sort of interacted with voice and how that's what their needs were, and then we created a, a, a product that was better able to deliver to those needs. Um, and so for us, that meant uh, the existing kind of conversations were limited to kind of one question. Ours have kind of 12 different layers, and that's because we understand how customers want to interact with voice and how that can make their journey simpler. And do you see a lot of interaction with voice? Is, the, is, is it working well, or is it well, the numbers that you expected, or are we still early days? So again, I think it's not so much about the numbers. It's, it's more about offering customers the opportunity to use whatever platform makes sense to them. So you know, we have 16.5 million um, visits across all our platforms, and voice is now a kind of another way for customers to interact with our 
products in a positive and genuinely good way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good, good, good. Um, right, get snappy. Um, which I love that term. It's a kind of a snappy term, get snappy. Um, how is image recognition impacting how you approach your, your marketing? I mean, they use marketing with a, with a capital M in some cases is literally packaging. Yeah. You consider that, that an element of visual recognition. So how, how are you looking at visual recognition, or, or are you not looking at it? Is it not something that's kind of on your radar at the moment? We'll, we'll start with you. So, you know, I think it's incredibly important, especially for travel companies. Ultimately, yeah. its initial purpose is you know, the more influencer and UGC content you have, ultimately cataloging and understanding visual imagery is fundamental. And, and also to serving people kind of the right imagery that they're looking for as they search for and discover places they want to travel. So, um, yeah, it's up, I think in, in travel, you kind of, it becomes increasingly important. I mean, look, again, across the, the good news on visual recognition for us is we sit in two billion homes. We have, with packaging, we therefore have access to brand stories through devices. That's an amazing opportunity for the future. I think at the moment, again, it will be dependent by category. We've got visual recognition that can look at someone's face, their skin tone, and essentially create the perfect solution for you. Your hair colour, create the perfect solution for you. Um, is my recipe okay? Solution-based. I think the visual recognition is, again, one thing in the armoury along with the voice, which is trying to tailor it to the category-specific solution. Because when we come back to that consumer need, I think there is a risk with all of these things that we kind of invest heavily into a bandwagon for everything, and everyone jumps on it, and you have Pokemon Go times 50, um, which no one needs because it's expensive. Um, but visual recognition for me, the most exciting bit is the element of transparency to the consumer. That it moved from China, where you can get answer an authenticity question through visual recognition, yeah. to the UK, to where you can actually see a backstory, plastic content, farm solutions. Yeah. That is brilliant because, again, it's going to give the consumer more information about the products that they actually purchase, and the brands who invest sustainably will probably. Yeah benefit for that. Do you, do you see, I mean, because if you go in China, it's extraordinary because, you know, you get WeChat out, you can basically pay through WeChat through, through the entire day. Even small little restaurants you can pay. Um, do you see the same thing happening in the West? Because it really hasn't quite taken off, despite some efforts by a few, few of the, the big players out there. I, I mean, slower curve. I think you're probably best on. No, I, I'd, I'd agree. Yeah. I think, um, I mean, you, you look at some of the markets, China, yeah. India, they're, they're leapfrogging the yeah. so-called developed markets, partly because the infrastructure is there. So the 5G network in India is extraordinary. And, and the way that that's moving consumer experience on and moving marketing on is, is staggering. Um, and uh, there's, a, there's a kind of much more uh, open willingness to adopt new technology in, in China than there is uh, particularly in Europe, actually. We're quite reticent here. I mean, even, yeah. even the younger generations, we've seen some of the data yes. already this morning. Uh, there's a, there's a, a lot of kind of wariness about really diving in uh, when you're getting into some of that really personal yeah. stuff. And I, I go back to my point about kind of getting the technology out of the way. The, the other side of that that we've got to do is, is make consumers much more comfortable, as we've seen again this morning, around how that data is going to be used uh, has have I as a consumer got control over it and I right. think until we start getting over some of those barriers there's going to be a very natural human barrier to people wanting to get into some of that more well, personal stuff. Let's move on to data but, but what was interesting when you when you go out to see it you must have been CES I'm sure yes but when you go out there um, you always look for like what has changed since last year because it's usually you know, more flat screen TVs yeah. etc. Um, but the one thing that was notable this year was the Chinese companies were everywhere. About a third of the, of the total companies on the floor were Chinese and um, you know, Alibaba. So they're, they're really a force to be reckoned yep. with. And I think to your point, um, if you want to see great innovation, Singles Day is I think the one day where you can see pretty much everything we've talked about in kind of reality happening at scale, which is, which is quite fascinating. But on to data. So one of the stats that uh, Julia, I think, mentioned was you know, only one in five UK consumers have trust or confidence in how companies store and use their personal data. I mean, that, that's staggeringly low. Does that worry you guys? 
how do you how do you regain that trust? But you're you're right at the center of it. You must hold a lot of great first party data. So you know, I think um, people talked earlier about the value exchange, and and to us, that's absolutely key. Everything that we do is customer first. So ultimately. Um, you know, people are willing to share and um, exchange data if there's a if there's a genuine benefit for them. Um, and it's not quite the same thing, but I think uh, it's quite interesting to look at something like BusyBot, which is our um, seek finder algorithm. Uh, but it works, and it's powered by customers sharing their data purely for the benefit of other customers. And we get about. 150 million, um, 150,000 uh, individual inputs per week from customers going, this carriage has space, this carriage is full, this carriage is, you know, um, is kind of, um, you know, um, uh, standing room only. And I think you can understand there that there's a genuine desire for customers to share something when they understand that they may benefit from that in future. Um, and so that's obviously... Something that we're so how are you preparing for, for GDPR? I mean, I look at some of the data here. Only 27% of biz businesses believe GDPR applies to their business, despite 75% of them collecting personal data and storing personal data. So, I mean, how many of you feel you're prepared for GDPR in this, in this room? Got to be a few of you. Okay. How many feel you're not prepared? This is where I wonder what the other people are doing. <laughs> I don't know, but okay. James, you're going to have to follow up on that, I think. I mean, Lisa, how are, how are you guys, uh, how well, big of a deal is this for you? You know, I, I think we welcome anything that is about putting the customer at the heart of what we do. Yeah. And uh, we have a fantastic data security team that have been working under a very, very talented woman called Mika, who's been doing this for a long time. She speaks at a number of events and has done last year um, at InfoSec and a few other places. Um, and they are working incredibly hard to make sure that, that we're in the right place when the time comes in May. Um, so I think, you know, we're confident that we're heading in the right direction. Okay. And you guys feel confident? Yeah. You're both going to say, everyone's going to say they're confident. We're confident. You're not going to get up here and say we're screwed. I'm not. We're a, <laughs> we're a startup. It's kind of I'm a dumb question to ask, but anyway, I'll ask it anyway. <laughs> no, I, I, I mean, I think everyone who's involved, you know, the guys from Google yeah. are here, and we have a very close relationship with them because we're on the Android platform now. I think everyone who has any kind of um, interaction with consumers is going to play a part on uh, on how much technology changes that relationship because uh, I think the biggest barrier is actually going to be consumers' confidence and their willingness to engage with brands and engage with technology. If we can't get over that hurdle, right. everything's got a natural block on it. So right, right. I think, look, I totally agree with them. We are, as an industry, only as strong as our weakest link here. And if some people within this industry are willing to use data to um, but maybe not as transparently as others, yeah. that will piss off consumers. Yeah. And if we piss off consumers... Great headline, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. If we piss off consumers, we will suffer because then we'll lose their trust. Yes. And, then, and that's... So I think this legislation is great for all of us, basically. Great. Okay. Let's move on to automation. Uh, this is another stat uh, from the team. Over two-thirds of people find using automation frustrating. I mean, that, that kind of sucks. It really is not a good data point. I mean, how... So how... how why, why do we get it so wrong? What... what Press one to hold, press two to hold. <laughs> I think it depends what you're looking at in terms of automation. I mean, you know, the, we are kind of built as an app that is all about automating something that consumers um, find quite difficult and what we deliver them to, to them they actually kind of love. So uh, if I look at e-ticketing across Europe, um, we still have only 30% of customers across Europe using e-tickets. But we did some research kind of a couple of months ago that said once you've used it, uh, you never go back. Yeah. It's such an incredibly good, personal, yep. brilliant experience. Um, you know, so that, that level of automation for us is, is key. And we work very closely with the train operating companies to bring that across as many countries and parts of um, Europe as possible. Anything that uh, builds on that? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, that it's exactly as we said, it's about the consumer experience. Yeah. Does it work? I have a lisp. My voice is my password. You persuaded me to do it. You bloody persuade. You hammered me until I did my voice. I've got to list. Yeah? So that doesn't work. And so I think back to the point of building these experiences is great, but you only have one opportunity to get it right. 
yeah. before we start annoying people. So where, I mean, the blended mix of automation with human support, I think, is where you, you probably end up, which right. is, I don't know anymore when I speak, whether I'm speaking to a bot, right. because I do know that the companies who do it well jump in. Yeah. When I'm, when I'm sh illustrating signs of irritation or maybe right. leaving the process. Right. So that kind of, that blended mix is, I think, where we get to, depending on the size of your kind of price point. It was interesting uh, looking through the research, too, this notion of, you know, as AI increases in automation, how do you actually inject some personality exactly. into that? I don't know if you guys have any good examples. And I love this quote. Um, is Alison Davis from IBM here? I don't know if she's here or not, but she had a great quote. If using BA online check-in, if you get a response in American slang, it would jar with British values. I won't take any offense at that, but I kind of get the point she's making. So, how, so particularly with, with the train line and the yeah. voice that you're using, how are you injecting personality in that and matching that to the, um, the brand? Well, you can ask it trivia and, uh, and jokes. I'm, I'm not going to tell you they're brilliant oh, jokes. One joke. Who wants to hear a train line joke? Anybody want to hear a train line joke? <laughs> but by joke? all means, go on to our, our voice app on Google and, and, and test it out. You know, I think ultimately it's about, um, you know, having a very clear sense of who you are as yeah. a brand and how customers value you and interact with you. And then, and then you know, we work very hard with um, our partners at BBH creatively. They're copywriters who work hand-in-hand hand with our uh, tech people who are writing the scripts, et cetera, for voice. And, uh, and they're looking to find the right level of kind of personal um, tone and um, language that, that fits with us as a brand. And we're learning all the time, right? You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's the point of it. We get better Never as ends. we go on. Never ends. <laughs> And Ben, I know you've you've done some skills, echo skills, and yeah, we home look, we, we, actions. We, we're testing it. We're, yeah, we, we've got 130 different pilots on the go across all different types of technology. And the point is, not all of them will work, but we'll learn which ones do, and then we'll scale that across the rest of the portfolio. I think the point here is trying to isolate where it's going to get to, and knowing how much to invest behind it. Yes, before you then work out because you've got to know when you're going to need to scale it yes. and we don't need to scale everything at the same time yeah that's kind of where we are but do, you, do you worry that the the kind of echo echo skills and and home uh, actions are a bit like the app craze that we had in the no days I, of mobile I, I think where more, everybody had to have an app and, i think they're a lot more scary than that i think um <laughs> look I, I think people will be naive yeah. and invest but i think that the whole that whole area of kind of Get, we can't get distracted by those things, I think. Voice and kind of is too important yeah. to get distracted by the skills. It, and this is, I mean, if you look at, listen to Scott Galloway, he's really good as a kind of just to remind yourself how... It's a bit dramatic sometimes. Yeah, but, but yeah. it helps you remind yourself how not to mess it up yeah. and how important getting kind of those initial connections with consumers in this space right yeah. is. Because otherwise, like you say, if you're not on the list, you've lost them forever. Right, 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 right. Uh, ben, let's go to um, AI. So the stat that uh, I think it came from our research, 900,000 companies to use AI by 2020. Does that sound right, Julia? Okay. How are you leveraging AI within Nokia? Uh, well, I, again, I want to be clear that uh, uh, we're not Nokia. Yeah. We're HMD. Yeah. Uh, so I don't want to... Kind of confuses with them too. Well, uh, <laughs> they wouldn't say so. But, uh, <laughs> we'd like to at times. Uh, I so how are we using AI? Well, uh, the truth is that right now, when we're not in our marketing at all, um, clearly what we are thinking about is the role of AI within the device experience, right. and um, and working hand in hand with say the Android team at Google around that. So we're we're. Um, we're pretty close to the voice piece on that, um, but I, I, again, I think it's you know it's going to be driven by consumer adoption more than anything else. And I think you know, again, I go back to my point: the more we can make it, to Lisa's point, useful for people and have a, a, a role that adds value in their lives, and the more that we can reassure people uh, that you know what what they're saying, what they're giving away, what we're learning about them is secure and of value to them then we'll make progress. If we don't do that, we won't, we won't. And people will walk away from it. And if it's, you know, there'll be some mistakes on the way, 
I think consumers understand that because you know that's the natural course of evolution. But right. What, what about AR? Do you do you, do you, do you uh, well I think AR? You think this is the year of AR. Or? I think AR will play quite a big part in this year. Yeah, because it's a it, it, it's a much more tangible, immediate right. uh, experience for consumers. Uh, I was just saying to David, I think actually um, a lot of this technology is going to be driven by gaming, uh, and and it's the gaming industry that actually will make consumers. Yes. Much more comfortable with how this changes their experience and adds yeah. uh, adds value in their lives. So, I think that's um, that's the space to watch. Yeah, it's funny because you know I think every great innovation that's happened online has been three industries. All begin yeah. with a P. Yeah, poker, gaming, uh, pizza. For whatever reason, <laughs> is like at the vanguard of everything. I won't mention the other P, but you could probably guess what that is. But they're at CES is. at the same time. Yes, they are at the same time. They are there. Which, which I don't interesting fusion. Right. Um, any, any other thoughts on AR and your, your application of AR, and do you think it'll be a big deal? So, I mean, I think we are very much in the kind of AI space at the moment. So yeah. we have a number of tools that yeah. are kind of powered by very small algorithms. I, I think the, the one that was really interesting from last year for us was price prediction. Um, you know, recognizing that um, prices in, in the world of train, you know, go up over time and being able to tell a customer, you know, the, the price you're looking at today won't be the same in two, three days' time and it's likely to go up to this price and there are this number of tickets left. Yeah. You know, that's a huge value add yeah. for the customer. So I think for us at the moment, it's about harnessing AI to help respond and predict customers' yeah. needs and, and kind of that's where we're we're focusing our efforts right now. Sorry, go back. It's a great example of how technology is coming back and, and re-empowering yeah. consumers to fight back against business models. You know, everyone, everyone knows what goes on in airline tickets, and now suddenly technology and intelligence is allowing me to kind of get back on a level playing field. And yeah, I think it gives people visibility, doesn't it, that yeah. perhaps they haven't had before. Yeah. Um, and we know that customers very frequently kind of do one search and then come back a number of days later and miss kind of maybe a couple of different price tiers they could have bought at and would have bought at if they'd only known. Yeah. So I think for us, serving kind of timely information that, that really helps customers get the best out of their journeys is... You know, it has a genuine benefit to people um, and a genuine benefit to the brand. And how do you put guardrails around that? Because, you know, there's, there's a lot of really interesting things in adaptive pricing using weather and all sorts of exogenous variables to, to, to adapt the price point on something. But there, there's, there's some limits to that because there's some creepy things that happen where people are perhaps identifying you with certain characteristics and then putting a different price point in front of you. There was uh, a retailer in the U.S. that literally was determining where you were located, your, yeah. your geolocation, and adapting the price on how far away you were from a competitive yeah. store. Yeah, that is so there's, there's a fine line there. I mean, do, you, do you worry sometimes that you can go a bit overboard with some of this stuff? So, so for us, we're surfacing um, pricing that uh, is in existence through the train operating company, so we're not affecting pricing ourselves. Uh, we're surfacing the most yeah. affordable pricing, giving customers yeah. access to that. Yeah. So there's there's nothing creepy about yeah. what we're doing. Yeah. Um, that does sound creepy. Yeah. But that, yeah, that's not that's not what we're about. Yeah, do you guys worry about that with the algorithms and managing that? And I mean, AI, we, we've, we've got some very taking careful a life of its own. We, we've got some very careful supply chain legislation that yeah. doesn't allow that to happen. So I think we. I mean, we are we have to exceptionally transparent across our pricing. So well said. Thank you. Ben? Um, uh, again, we're just not at that point okay. in, in the development of, of where we are. Okay. Uh, we're, still trying, we're still trying to work out which operators we're going to sell through half the time. Um, uh, but, but, yeah, I do, I mean, to go to your question, yes, no, I worry. Not specifically, but more general level. But yeah, I do, I, I, I do worry about it. Yeah. I, I think, um, uh, you know, Technology is there, and it can be used well, and it can be misused. And um, and there will always be, uh, you know, people looking for competitive advantage, rightly on the open market. Yeah. You know, so uh, again, I think it's going to go back to that uh, that relationship that you have with consumers, whether you can build that trust as a brand, uh, you know, how transparent you can you can be, and give them the reassurance they need, and that and that's going to be a driver around brand choice ultimately. Right. Let's let's just last question. The 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 trend that you, that really interested you in the in the uh, in the materials. You get thirty seconds to tell me what was the most intriguing, interesting thing that you think is the most relevant uh, to this group this year. We'll start with you, Ben. Well, I I, I mean, I, as I've said, I I think data security is going to be the thing that um, 
is, is the most fascinating, whether you're looking at a local level or a global level, you know, the, the differences culturally around how people feel and different demographics feel about their data, I think is going to have an enormous impact on, it's, it's a scary on individuals' brand successes with, with consumers. Um, bringing our packaging to life through visual search and AI, and yeah. AI, uh, AI so I think that's amazing. Two billion packages that can tell a brand story. Yes, it's suddenly become ads. Yeah. You can do we, something. Yep. So I think for us, it's um, AI. I think, you know, we, we sell on behalf of 137 different training coach operators across 35 different countries. If you think of the millions of journeys involved there and how responding to and predicting customer needs can make those simpler and better and more yep. affordable. You know, that's just a massive opportunity both for us and for the customer. Yep. So that kind of investment in AI is crucial for us. Right, I'm gonna open it up to questions. Uh, does anybody have a question out there? Yes, we'll get the mic over to you. Um, so kind of specifically for, for Nokia, but, um, but all three brands, presumably you do a hell of a lot of your own consumer research and trends research. Where has you, where have your findings departed from Mindshares? So, so is there anything that you disagree with or any, any trends that we missed? It's a very good question, actually. Well, I think, I, think there's a, um, I, I think there's an assumption sometimes that there's a trade-off between automation and personalization, and I, our experience isn't that. I think for us, if I take the example of, of e-ticket and look at AI and automation in, in, in working in parallel, you know, if I, if I have on my phone information of live, live train times platform, I've got my ticket, I can go through the barrier, find myself a seat on the right carriage without having to queue, without having to get into any fuss, that feels like a very personal experience that is both automated and driven by AI. And I think, so, so, so for me, automation doesn't have to be impersonal. It's how you use it to the benefit of the individual that counts, and that's what we're looking for. Yeah, I think it's just, it, they're all relevant. It just depends what brand problem you're trying to solve. Right. And you can dial up and dial down depending on what your problem is. So. Ben, did we miss anything? Any uh, violent disagreement with anything? No, I thought what was really interesting actually was the the difference in attitudes between uh, urban dwellers and rural. Yeah. Yes. Um, uh, and and again between sort of uh, parents and kids as well. And I, I uh, it was fascinating to see who's driving yes. behaviours in that. And um, and again, I think a part of that will be around. Um, People's willingness to take on uh, technology and, and it adding value in their lives. I, I, you know, I happen to live in the country but work in the city. I, I don't think, uh, I don't think that necessarily changes my mindset or my willingness to adopt right. any one technology. I think it's about how it plays a part in in my life. Right. Or not. So you don't put the phone down when you get to writing. You don't yeah, disconnect uh, and stop. <laughs> no, but although I have, yeah, definitely stepped back from being but, connected. To that point, I yeah. think back, it comes back to the China question as well, I think, in the West, be it urban, local. I think we underestimate how much time it takes consumers to unlearn habits yes. as much as learn new ones. And some of these habits are very entrenched. But, and even if technology allows you to make it better, people might not want to do that. Yeah, it's, it's uh, you know, was, I met with the Google guys out in Vegas and they were talking about their VR ambitions mm. and they're trying to encourage people when they come home to spend one hour on VR. And I thought, God, that's interesting. I don't know how you're going to convince people to get home and all put on their VR <laughs> glasses and go off to separate rooms. But um, so there's sometimes hard habits to break, but yeah. also uh, behaviorally trying to encourage people to do exactly. something different is, is not yeah. always easy as well. Any other questions? Oh, come on, everybody. I know I've got an Ohio accent, it's very boring, but hopefully you're still awake out there. James Chandler, who used to work for me, by the way, and bizarrely, uh, his brother lives in my hometown, Perrysburg, Ohio, of 20,000 people, which I find, I don't know how the hell that happened, but you know, he's married, married a Perrysburg girl, yes, it's very, a British very, accent. Very hard to follow that. Yes. Thank you, Norm. A question, I guess, for, for Ben, but probably for Lisa as well, is what's your point of view on, and you mentioned Scott Galloway, and you know, my favorite Scott Galloway video is when he talks to the smart speaker, he asks for batteries, and they automatically default to the, to the Amazon yeah. batteries. How, how do you think the role of brands and all the, yeah. the time, energy, resources you put into building brands, how do you feel about maybe that decision-making being taken away from people and put in the hands of, of automation? I, I think that's a, it's a, it'll come down to the question of the strength of the brand. 
yeah, the strength of the brand within the strength of the category and the kind of price elasticity and the importance on price. Because, look, we, Amazon, Amazon are very, very good at what they do. And they're very good uh, in everything they do. Um, so for us, we, whilst we investigate new routes to market, while one-to-one, direct-to-consumer, subscription-based, other partners other than Amazon, so we have to look at a broad remit, we need to have a strong, the most important thing remains, having a strong brand that the consumer actually says no. Okay? And we're not in batteries, but in bleach. And so that is the power that you mean. You have to think about what is the strength of Domestos? What is it that ma- makes a consumer in a low, very low interest category go actually no? It's a very, he's, he's a little dystopian about the whole thing. I mean, his notion is that brands are going to disappear and Amazon will rule the world. If you look at some of the, the categories where Amazon does sell, their, their share has actually yeah. gone down. It's not gone up. Uh, so it's a little contrarian to, to what, what he, he says. So. I think there's also... But it makes, he makes for a very good video, doesn't he? Yeah. <laughs> um, I, think, I think there's also a... Um, so certainly in our industry, there's a um, reliance on the performance of the product, ultimately. You know, we have 250 rail coach, tech engineers, data scientists, um, uh, engineers who are specialists in their field, and we know, we know rail and coach better than anybody else. So... Um, and we have also been doing it for a very long time. So we have billions of um, data points of search data across, um, you know, millions and millions of journeys. So, uh, you know, for us, we are obviously uh, very reliant on the, the power of the brand, but also on the power of the product. And we believe our product is just better at doing that. But then, I, I, I mean, I agree. They're not two separate things. I think no, what's exactly. really exciting about being in marketing at this point in time is that there's a shift from the brand being defined by what you say to actually what the brand does and the value that you add and the experiences that you deliver and that's what technology is enabling enormously so I think that the role of marketing actually has shifted much more to, to being about consumer experience and, and all, the, all the things that we've heard about today open that up fantastically to create very different brand relationships than kind of some of the more classic structures of brand. No, I think you're right. I think it'll be a real struggle for some brands. Yeah. They've been saying things for years and actually are not delivering on yeah. what they're talking about. Yeah, because, I mean, cons- consumers are now, yeah. you know, demanding that much more. Their expectations yeah. are that much higher because technology is enabling them to, to kind of get better experiences elsewhere. Totally agree. Any, any other questions uh, out there? Okay. Well, thank you all very much. A round of applause for our panel, everybody. Thank you all. Thank you.